Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 166 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you a little bit later than normal on this fine Wednesday evening. The Atlanta Hawks lost a fifth consecutive game on this night to the Washington Wizards by a final score of 104 to 100. Uh, candidly, this game, this game was a lot closer than I probably thought it would be, given the fact that Paul Millsap was out of the lineup yet again for the Hawks, as well as Kent Bazemore. And of course, Washington is just the better team right now against Atlanta. But for most of this game, the Hawks played you know quite well uh, when, when compared to expectations, at least defensively. Uh, in the fourth quarter, things did not go quite as well, and that's how you end up with a four-point loss and a game in which the Hawks led for the majority of the way. But, you know, a lot to get to here. Uh, I guess just big picture stuff first and foremost. The first three quarters, uh, the Hawks were uh, basically able to play them dead, dead even. The Haw- this is a tie game as the uh, fourth quarter arrived, and defensively, uh, the Hawks were tremendous in the first three quarters of this game. In those first three quarters, the Wizards shot only 36% from the floor, uh, only 33% from three, and actually had 18 turnovers um, that were forced by Atlanta. Um, as you might expect, that's a good that's a good spot to be uh, in, in a competitive game. Uh, in the same breath, Atlanta's offense was just never good enough to take full advantage of that and to kind of pull away from the Wizards. Not, not exactly a surprise there, given the fact that this is a shorthanded team, but uh, on a night when you play that kind of defense for three quarters, you probably should win. Uh, it was just the fact that the Hawks uh, really were never able to take full advantage because of the fact that their offense struggled throughout this contest. In fact, uh, in, the, in those first three quarters, uh, for uh, from the Atlanta side, the Hawks shot only 37% from the floor, 37% from three, which is actually just fine, and had 11 turnovers in their own right. So they were certainly better offensively, I think, uh, for the most part in those first three quarters than the Wizards were. But uh, in the end, it wasn't quite enough to pull away as a tie game at that point. And from there, the Wizards exploded. In the fourth quarter, scoring 37 points. Uh, admittedly, the Hawks had 33 points. There was a lot of scramble mode down the stretch, which allowed for those a little bit inflated of scoring totals. But uh, defensively in that fourth quarter, uh, the Wizards shot 50% from the floor in the fourth and only had one turnover uh, when compared to 18 in the first three quarters. That was sort of the difference there. And it was a lot of John Wall, it, really in the entire second half for Washington. Uh, Wall was you know, basically brutal in the first half. That was one of the reasons why Atlanta was able to stay afloat was because uh, Wall was 0 of 8 from the floor in that first in that, in that first half. He did have five assists and made some plays, but uh, was shot, you know shot the ball terribly in the first half. In the second half, that was uh, unfortunately not, not the case. Uh, he was 6 of 13 from the floor, 9 of 10 from the free throw line, had 22 points and five assists after halftime, and uh, a lot of the fourth quarter especially was dominated by Wall. So, uh, you know, the Hawks uh, allowed a 19-5 to run by the Wizards that allowed Washington to take at really full command of this game in the fourth quarter. Uh, that, that During that stretch, the Hawks did not have a field goal 
over nearly a five-minute period of time. It's something you basically just cannot do on the road and get a victory. Um, with that said, the Hawks did fight back down the stretch. Uh, Ursula Ur- 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 actually um, actually missed a layup um, that would have uh, gave, give, given the Hawks a three-point deficit with about a minute and a half to go. Um, and Washington actually, at, at that point in time, looked like they were going to potentially cough up what looked like to be a, a, a potentially insurmountable lead. Uh, Atlanta was able to get the lead down to three on an, on an Ilya Sova three-point play with about 107 to go. Um, and the Hawks did make some plays during that run, but it was never quite enough. Uh, Washington made enough of their free throws, executed enough, and John Wall made back-to-back offensive plays to kind of put things away. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I thought the Hawks played, you know, if not well, at least well enough to compete and win this game. They were not able to do that, but uh, considering the available roster, it was not a surprise that that happened, and I thought this is, you know, not a great loss, but still a loss that was, was definitely respectable versus some of the other ones that have happened in the recent past. You know, losing the four points, against the Wizards in an unfriendly atmosphere shorthanded. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that uh, inherently for Atlanta. Um, that's kind of kind of do it for big picture. I guess you know off, offensively in this game. I guess the whole the whole big picture takeaway is that the Hawks were not good offensively. Only 98.7 uh, points per 100 possessions in this particular contest. 40% from the floor, 32% from three. They did get to the line quite a bit. 24 of 29, made 83% at the free throw line. That was a big part in Atlanta being able to uh, hang around here. But defensive rebounding was a problem for the Hawks in general. You know, Dwight Howard had tw- had uh, 12 defensive rebounds. But uh, in general, Washington was able to rebound 35% of their misses, which is, which is a very ugly number. And they were able to take advantage of that a little bit as well, um, just to kind, of get a, kind of provide extra possessions. And you don't want to give a team that's better than you extra possessions. So uh, there's that. Defensively, the Hawks end this game with a 102.7 defensive rating, which is very, very good. Uh, that would be a top five in the mark in the entire league. And given how bad the fourth quarter was, it tells you how good they were in the first three quarters. But uh, in general, a good, a good defensive effort, a bad offensive effort, and that's how you get to a four-point loss. Um, individually speaking, there were some things, of course, to take away from this game. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. was the was definitely the big bright spot here. 29 points for Hardaway on only 16 field goal attempts. Uh, they, he was 9 of 16 from the floor, a respectable 3 of 8 from 3, and uh, a very, very efficient 8 of 9 from the free throw line. Uh, Tim didn't do a whole lot else in this game outside of score, but uh, he was certainly the best offensive player on the floor for Atlanta throughout this contest and that was the leading score in the game in general. Another really encouraging performance from Tim. I actually put up a poll uh, on Twitter early in the day on Wednesday uh, just to talk about uh, sort of an offline conversation I've been having with a friend about this, but um, there was uh, the question was basically who would you rather have for the next five years, you know, sort of independent of contracts, sort of in a vacuum between Torian Prince and Tim Hardaway Jr. And Prince ended up being slightly victorious in that poll, which I, which I expected, but uh, a lot of love for Hardaway. There's a lot of people who are really buying into Tim and uh, a night like this is another reason why, you know, he's been tremendous offensively all season long and uh, with the shooting coming around in the way that it is, um, you know, not, not a whole lot to hate on from Tim Hardaway Jr. This, he was very, very good in this game. One of the reasons why the Hawks were able to keep things so close on a night when the rest of the offense didn't really have much going. Uh, Dwight Howard finished with 14 points, 16 rebounds in this game and 36 minutes. Uh, not a, I, I didn't think it was a dominant Dwight performance, but there were definitely moments where he was very, very good here, and he uh, was able to, I, I thought for the most part, outplay Marcin Gortat. And uh, Jan Mahimi was pretty good off the bench for Washington, but uh, Dwight was pretty good here, and that was uh, another reason why Atlanta was able to stick close. 
Thomas and Felosha, another nice game. 10 points, 4 of 7 from the floor, made both of his three-point attempts. Nice little shooting renaissance lately from Tabo. And he did, he did a, a good defensive job when asked to guard Otto Porter Jr. There were moments in which he had to guard Bradley Beal, and that did not go well for anyone on this night because Beal finished with 28 points on 10 of 21 shooting. But um, Tabo, in general, is a good defensive player and played well here. Ursula Ilyasova actually led the team in plus-minus with a plus-10, although he was not particularly efficient. He was only 2 of 8 from the floor here, but it did, it did have 8 rebounds. Bounds, only 26 minutes, made a couple of plays. Of course, I alluded to that blown layup. It wasn't it wasn't quite as easy as I'm making it sound. It was a it was it was a contested layup that would have been a huge momentum swing. Couldn't get that one to go late, but I thought Ilyasova was okay in general, despite the fact that he had five fouls in 26 minutes and was uh, inefficient. But the plus 10 is probably at least slightly indicative of the way that he played here. Uh, finally, Dennis Schroeder. Uh, was very bad in this game. Uh, he, you know, he did score 18 points and had six assists. So if you look at just that, um, pe- which I'm sure people people will like to do, as well as the plus seven and the plus minus, uh, I'm sure people will like to you know point to Dennis having some positive numbers there. But he was five of 16 from the floor, 0 of three from three. Did make all uh, did make all eight of his free throws. Dennis continues to be a very good free throw shooter, which is always nice when he when he actually gets there. But uh, the, the lead, I guess, for Dennis here is the fact that he committed 10 turnovers in this game. Uh, my crack research um, from Basketball Reference indicates to me, at least by their records, that no Atlanta Hawks player since the 1983-84 season, when the uh, when Basketball Reference started tracking this as a sort of a record stat, has ever commended has ever committed 10 turnovers in a single game. Um, KL Chenard, friend of the program, the writer for Hawks.com, pointed out that John Drew uh, is the franchise record holder with 14 turnovers in a game. That was back in the uh, late 70s, but uh, since the uh, Basketball Reference crew has been has been tracking this is the most turnovers in a game for any member of the Atlanta Hawks, and that kind of speaks to just how bad Dennis was with ball security. Sort, of, I guess sort of the the, uh, the, the most obvious uh, example of that was when the Hawks fought all the way back. Admittedly, they were probably going to lose the game at this point in time, but the Hawks had a glimmer of hope uh, and the, on the, basically the final possession that mattered in this game, and Dennis, uh, with a wide-open floor, elected to uh, sling a pass to the corner that was not remotely close to being caught, ended up being out of bounds, and that, and that basically ended the threat or any, any any remote threat that the Hawks had down the stretch, and that was sort of indicative to see him commit his 10th and final turnover in a spot where it basically buried the team because Dennis was not good in this game. I've been talking a lot about Dennis the last couple of days. You know, Obviously, yesterday's podcast with Chris Barnwell, if, you're not, if you missed that one, please go back and listen, but talked about Dennis a lot there as well as on Twitter. Uh, Amin El-Hassan of ESPN sort of posited uh, in a tongue-in-cheek way because Amin does this. This is what he does on Twitter. I always enjoy Amin's work, but um, he was uh, basically asking what the appeal is is for Dennis Schroeder. I wouldn't go that far. It's just to say that he doesn't have any appeal. I just I think there are some weaknesses in Dennis's game that you uh, that you definitely see on a regular basis. He is uh, pretty good at some things. He's a great athlete. He's very fast. Um, the fact that he's been able to improve around the rim, and especially improve his mid-range jump shot this year, is encouraging. But the fact that he's not a good three-point shooter, he's a passable one, um, but he's also not, not a very good defensive player right now. He's not a very good passer from a starting point guard perspective, turns the ball over too much, et cetera, et cetera. There are a lot of issues with Dennis. He is, uh, because because he is so talented, been able to uh, you know make himself at least a functional starting point guard in the NBA, but I think his number is just sort of overstating how good he's been. And this is an example where if you look at just throw on numbers, 18 and 6, it looks it looks fine but he was uh, he was not good here and was one of the reasons why Atlanta 
was beat up uh, in this game uh, to a certain extent. And, you know, defensively, he does get some credit for uh, helping to force John Wall into a 6 of 21 shooting performance. But uh, when it mattered in the second half, Wall kind of got wherever he wanted on the floor. And that's not all Dennis, um, but it's certainly some of it. And he had that assignment at times and uh, did not do a great job with it. So uh, I don't want to crap on Dennis too much. Uh, you know, he, 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 as usual, did some very good things here. And, uh, you know, his scoring and the workload that he has offensively is extremely important for this team because there's just not a lot else going on outside, especially on a night when, they, when most halftime available. It's a lot of shooter and Hardaway. That's kind of what you're going to live and die with. So, you know, he was uh, he was okay in certain certain instances, but 10 turnovers is just unacceptable and untenable, and uh, we'll see how he moves forward after that performance. Um, in general, though, you know, the starting five all had pl- all had positive net ratings in this game. Uh, plus three for Cephalosha, plus 10 for Eliasova, plus five for Howard, plus five for Hardaway Jr., and plus seven for Schroeder. The bench uh, was not so kind. Uh, the most prominent member of the bench was was Torian Prince in this game, 28 minutes uh, as he should be. Prince is the you know the most the most dynamic available player off the bench considering the, the absences the Hawks have. He was okay here, seven points, four rebounds, two steals, a couple of uh, I feel like I say this every single podcast, but it's almost always true. Uh, Torian had a couple of uh, maddening moments that rookies have, but uh, his athleticism was definitely helpful at times. He also, you know, killed the Hawks at times defensively and a couple, even a couple of offensive possessions. I'm remembering now a couple of errant passes and a couple of instances where it was clear that he should do one thing and ended up doing the other. But I continue to want the Hawks to invest in Torian. I'm glad they did so here. Uh, Mike Dunleavy Jr. made a triumphant return to action. Uh, thankfully, not at the expense of Torian's minutes. I do worry that if, you know, if and when Baysmore and Millsap are back, uh, I hope, I hope Bud keeps rolling with Torian, but uh, the fact that Torian played double the minutes here is, is encouraging on that front. Dunleavy Jr. did make two threes in this game. That's pretty much his, uh, I won't say it's his only value, but it's definitely his biggest value to the roster right now is, is, is his pure shooting. He did make his, he did make two of three from beyond three-point arc, but was minus 11, 15 minutes, nine points. It was just good to see him playing and healthy. Like I said, I've always liked, but I don't think he's particularly good now, but the shooting can be useful when hidden elsewhere. Uh, Malcolm Delaney got the nod uh, as the backup point guard yet again here. I was a little bit surprised about that, to be honest, given how bad he was on Monday. He was a little bit better here. I th- there were still moments in which Delaney uh, struggled mightily offensively, but defensively, you can see why the Hawks want him out there. And uh, to be fair, this is not a game in which Jose Calderon would have been able to guard really anyone on the floor at any point if he was playing. So this, I guess that's probably that would explain some of why he would not be used in this game. But Delaney offensively struggled again. Uh, one of five from the floor, 0 of two from the free throw line, and a couple of uh, ugly misses there. So, you know, not a great game from Malcolm. He was better than he was on Monday. So we'll we'll, we'll look at the bright side there. Uh, finally, Torian, I'm sorry, Chris Humphreys and Mike Muscala combined to play uh, 20 minutes, uh, eight minutes from Muscala, 12 for Humphreys. Uh, you, you know how I feel about this. If you're a long-time, long-time listener, I can't imagine a scenario where Humphreys is playing more than Miscal and that being a good idea. Uh, Humphreys did a couple of nice things here, but uh, in general, he should not play uh, really under any circumstances. Uh, I, I mean, it's more excusable on a night when Millsap is un- unavailable, but Miscala, even when Miscala is struggling, is just a better player to play. Uh, that's sort of the long and short of it. They were, you know, both of them were, you know, neither of them, I should say, were effective in this game, but Humphreys, had a better raw number, six points, three rebounds. Uh, Muscala went scoreless, only took three shots in eight minutes. Uh, attempted two threes, you know, Humphreys, whatever. I get it. There's, there's going to be games where uh, Bud leads on those guys. I'd almost like to see the under Membry and some, and some more small ball versus Humphreys. But, uh, you know, it's nitpicking on a night when, you know, they at least had an injury to explain why Humphreys was on the floor. 
Uh, that's going to kind of do it in terms of individual stuff here. But uh, again, not an awful loss by any means. But it's one of the situations where it was maddening down the stretch of only because the Hawks had a real chance to win this game somehow. Uh, the Wizards allowed that to happen. But Atlanta almost took, almost kicked the door in down the stretch. And uh, they at least gave it a good effort, a much better effort than they have in a lot of the games without Paul Millsap this season. But now without Millsap, the Hawks are now 0-6. Not a surprise. If you look at their overall record on the year uh, with Millsap, they are 37-28. and Without Millsap, they are 0-6. It's not always that easy, but uh, sometimes it is. And uh, Paul Millsap's very important and the best player on this team, as we've talked about uh, based on every podcast since I started 166 episodes ago. Um, non-game stuff on this fine evening before I let you guys get out of here and before I actually get some sleep uh, to, get for the, to, go to, day, to go to the day job tomorrow. Uh, for those of you that were following me on Twitter, I did not, I did not watch this game live. I, had to, uh, I, was out, I was out and about, so I missed the first about three quarters of this game live. Did watch most of the fourth quarter uh, live and, w- and was able to go back and watch the rest of the game. But as a result, this is a very late recording, so I might be dragging. So please, please uh, forgive that level of uh, p- potential uh, sleep deprivation. So there's that. Um, speaking of, speaking of weird things though, uh, Dwight Howard, uh, apparently had a candy addiction. I almost hit on this on a previous podcast, but I almost actually, I almost recorded an addendum to the Chris Barwell podcast yesterday, but I wanted to save this for today. Uh, you know, it was actually an ESPN story by Baxter Holmes, uh, that broke down, uh, the peanut butter and jelly craze. I would definitely recommend you listen to that. Uh, sorry, not listen to that. You go back, go and read that on ESPN.com. Baxter did a phenomenal job with that post, but, uh, Howard was one of the anecdotes within it. In short, uh, Dwight had a uh, sort of, I guess, a legendary candy and sugar addiction for, uh, and I quote, uh, almost a decade, uh, which is crazy to think about. At one point, uh, Dwight was eating, you know, dozens of of candy bars, at least the equivalent of that on a daily basis, and had a serious candy issue to the fact where they had to basically address this in a hurry because he was having some issues with with catching catching the ball because he had tingling in his fingers and extremities, some pre-diabetes signs because of all the sugar that he that he that he, he uh, decided to eat on a regular basis. Uh, apparently Dwight is off this now, but uh, you want to go back and look at that, something that I just found incredible that a guy could function the way that he did because this, this was not uncovered until he was in Los Angeles, and at that point he had been a multiple-time All-Star and at one point the best center in the entire NBA while being basically addicted to sugar. So uh, I guess shout out to Dwight Howard for being able to play at that level without that. At this point in time, there's no indication that he's still like that, but I was, uh, it amused me to some extent. Now, at least that now, at least I could say that because of the fact that Dwight is apparently okay now with all of that. But uh, you want to go read that for sure. It was definitely an interesting read. He missed that already, and just the, in general, the concept of uh, the NBA sort of being addicted to plate butter and jelly sandwiches is just a wild one for me. So Google that. Find it on ESPN.com. Baxter Holmes. Good job from him. Uh, tonight, uh, Wednesday night, was the 2400th consecutive game for Steve Holman as the Atlanta Hawks radio announcer. Um, that is a just a mind-blowing number. Every time I see an update on where Steve is with, with his consecutive game streak, I'm just blown away. Uh, 2400 consecutive games, you know, nearly 30 years without without missing a game. It's just wild. Steve is a great guy. Uh, I get along well with Steve, and we, we sort you know I see him I see him every once in a while in the in the uh, hallways of Phillips Arena, and I always listen to him on the call whenever possible if I'm out and about. I will always encourage you to listen to Steve, but a phenomenal job from him, and congratulations on yet another, uh, you know, almost full season of consecutive games for Steve, who keeps on trucking and uh, killing it at a high level on a nightly basis. Um, as for the rest of the uh, sort of the playoff picture on this fine evening, the Hawks. Um, I guess before we get to that, the Hawks will decide on Thursday morning, according to Chris, according to Chris Moore of the AJC, as to whether Paul Millsap 
will be traveling to Milwaukee for the team's game on Friday. As you listen to this, that announcement might be out by this point, but I'm, I'm recording this on Wednesday night as usual, so I don't know the information just yet. Um, so bear with me if you already know it. Um, I don't know it as I record it, but uh, you know that'll be something to watch for sure. You know the Hawks need Paul Millsap in the lineup uh, on Friday. Um, even with Millsap in the lineup, that'd probably be a toss-up game when I when I did the breakdown. Uh, I guess last week about um, the schedule moving forward, I, I referred to Milwaukee on the road as a toss-up game because I think the Hawks at full strength are not maybe not better than Milwaukee, but at least comparable and maybe slightly better than Milwaukee. But without Millsap in the lineup, that's not a great matchup. And uh, even if you if they do have him, uh, it is an unfriendly um, venue because the fact that is the game is taking place in Wisconsin. So the Hawks need a win in the worst way. And uh, with Millsap available, that would give me a lot more optimism that they'll be able to get that victory. But without him, it's a very uphill battle against the Bucks. Um, finally, uh, the playoff picture, as I teased a second ago, the Pacers lost on Wednesday night, which is favorable for Atlanta. Uh, the Hawks are now five games behind the Toronto Raptors uh, that w- with only 11 to play. That you know, Any dream of the four seed is probably out the window at this point, uh, barring a you know, sudden just giant hot streak from Atlanta and a woe and a woeful uh, finish to the season from the Raptors. So I, I've kind of thrown that out of my mind for the most part. It, it'll be that, you know, if the Hawks reel off six or seven games in a row here, then we'll, maybe we'll talk about it some more again. But uh, for now, it's about the bottom the bottom half of the Eastern Conference playoff picture. Uh, the Hawks have only a one-game lead on the Pacers for the sixth seed at this moment, and they only a two-game lead on the Miami Heat, who are currently the eighth spot. Um to be fair, the Hawks do have a three and a half game lead, at least as, as of the time of this recording, on the number nine spot. So it would take a, sort of a pretty big letdown to miss the playoffs entirely. I think uh, at worst, the Hawks, I mean, sorry, at best, the Hawks would have to finish, uh, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of three and eight to realistically miss the playoffs just because there's so many teams that have to play well in order, to, in order for that to happen. Uh, if the Hawks can simply get, simply get to 4-7 and seven over the last 11, that would probably be enough to get into the playoffs, even if it's just the 8th seed. If that's kind of all you uh, want to think about. But, uh, you know, shout-out to the good folks at Hawks Reddit for pointing this out. But there's a scenario now, especially with the way that Cleveland is playing recently, that if the Cavaliers uh, suddenly, you know, come back to the pack and end up playing um, – uh, somewhere besides the number one seed, they're only one game ahead of the Boston Celtics at, at this moment. If the Cavs were to slip to the number two seed and the Hawks were in the number seven spot, that's the nightmare scenario, of course. That's the one team the Hawks absolutely do not want to play. They would never admit that, but I will tell you now, um, that's you know, no one wants to see Cleveland at any point, but especially not in the first round. If you're if you're someone who wants the Hawks to do well in the playoffs, you want to avoid Cleveland at all costs. And with every loss for Atlanta and every loss, admittedly, for Cleveland, that becomes a more likely scenario, and, and that's definitely one that Atlanta wants to avoid in order to. To have, a, to have a better chance to get to round two. So all that to say, uh, the Hawks are in not a great position right now. I mean, there's at least a severe likelihood that the Hawks are still in the playoffs, but it, it's looking more and more likely every day now that it could be somewhere besides the five seed in that matchup with Toronto that we've all kind of looked forward to. Um, to be fair, though, if Millsap is able to come back, the Hawks do have a bunch of winnable games down the stretch. They do, they do play, the, play the Nets twice. They play the Suns. They play the Sixers again. So that's four games right there in which if Millsap is available, the Hawks will be favored in uh, regardless of venue. So we'll keep an eye on that. But, uh, you know, another loss, not, not great for Atlanta. And uh, this is the worst record the team has had in quite some time. Only three games over 500 at this point in time. And, uh, you know, not a lock that, that Atlanta finishes at 40, 41 or 41 or better given the way that they're playing right now. But uh, hopefully Millsap will be back soon because this team has struggled mightily without him. 
Um, all that to say, um, I hope you guys enjoy your fine Thursday. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast if you've not already. I would really, really appreciate that as well as leaving, leaving a five-star rating and a, and, a, and a positive review. If you like the show, if you don't like the show, please tell me why you don't like the show at BT Rolling on Twitter or, or at Locked on Hawks on Twitter. Also, we have a Locked on Hawks Facebook page that I need to do a better job of updating, but it is there if you want to follow the, the, follow the show there, as well as every single episode is hosted on Peachtree Hoops. Thanks to Chris Willis for allowing me to host the show on that particular platform that I also write on. So if you like the written word and uh, around the Hawks, please check out PeachtreeHoops.com as well. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be back tomorrow with a, with a special Friday show as usual. And until then, enjoy it, and uh, thanks for listening.